This morning's reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The cheerful giver. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of their surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. pray for us one more time. Um, Father, uh, we need you. You are so good to us. Um, uh, we just want to put uh, our time uh, in your hands. Um, Holy Spirit, speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, cool. Well, we're uh, continuing our family traits series, so uh, we're just… Sorry, my thing's falling off me here. Um, we're essentially just… We take the series uh, to to look at what, is it, what does it look like to be part of this specific family, um, our, our church. Um, we're going to pick up really where we left, left off last week. Um, we're looking at generosity. So if you're, if you're visiting with us, if you're like pretty new, I'm just going to trust the Lord is sovereign, and He has you here uh, as we're talking about money and giving. So uh, please don't uh, um, think I'm asking you to open your your wallet this morning or anything like that. Um, yeah. Um, essentially, we're taking this series to, to, to look again closely at this three-year vision, these, these kind of three goals that we have uh, set for our church family. So, the first two weeks, we looked at what does it mean to abide in Jesus? What does it look like to, to learn to practice being aware of His presence um, every moment of our life, essentially? And, and that's always our starting point. So our, our starting point is always to be with Him before we jump to our doing for Him, which we're going to look at today is, is some, some doing. Uh, but our, our, our doing must always flow out of our being with Him. Um, get Jesus. Be, be with Jesus. Gaze at Jesus. Um, understand Jesus. Know Jesus. And then our doing uh, should be a natural response of our being with Him. Um, and last week, then, Alan started to look at this area of generosity. Um, we want to, to, to take the next couple years and intentionally focus on growing or increasing the generosity of our church family. Um, we've set a couple tangible goals to help us do that. I'll get to that in a bit. But first, let me remind you first of what Alan taught last week because it's incredibly important. We learned last week that when it comes to becoming more generous 
which is what we want to do, um, we don't jump straight into looking at what we're doing. What are we giving? How can we change? What, what goals can we set? We, we, we don't start by looking at us at all. We start by looking to God. We start by gazing at Jesus. Um, on the screen, this is one of our core values of Village. We seek to develop a culture of sacrificial living and generosity. And here's what that value is. Uh, we say, in, in understanding the abundant sacrificial generosity of God, we want to be a community who are generous with our whole lives. This includes our time, our resources, our talents, our abilities, our money, and more. Jesus calls us to live a life of radical difference. So in a world that is marked by consumption, that's our culture, isn't it? Consume. Um, we are seeking to build a community of countercultural generosity. Um, so our starting point in becoming more generous, like this statement says, is start by going to God. Start by understanding His sacrificial uh, abundant generosity, which is most clearly seen in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's what we did last week. Look to Jesus, understand how how eternally rich He was before He came. He, all glory, all honor, all power was His. Everything in creation was, was for Him, yet He didn't count those riches as something to be grasped. He didn't cling on to them. He, in fact, came down to us. He, he, though He was rich, He became, for our sake, He became poor, so that by His poverty we might become rich. So that's the story of the gospel is he stooped low. He, he set aside his, his glory and his riches in order to enact the reversal of our situation, the reversal of our eternal riches. And it's when we begin to understand that, when we begin to understand his abundant sacrificial generosity, inevitably our response will be to do the same. When we grasp what he's done for us, through His generosity, we then will begin to live lives of radical generosity. Um, and so, I propose to you that when you're evaluating your life, which I'm going to ask you to do today, when you're, when you're thinking, am I living a radically generous life? If, if the answer is no, then I propose that you probably don't understand fully the abundant radical, sacrificial generosity of God, which is okay. That There's grace for you. I forget that every day, but, but my point is make Him your starting point. Don't jump in just straight to, to you and what you're doing. Look to Him, grasp His generosity, and then move toward a response. My point is you won't become more generous by trying harder. It will happen when your affections begin to change. And that's what Paul said last week in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8, 5. He said, first they gave themselves to the Lord, and then they gave themselves to us. First, be with the Lord. Give yourself to the Lord. That's, we're back to abiding with Jesus, aren't we? Be with Him. Know Him. Understand His radical generosity towards you. And when you do that, your affections will begin to change, which will inevitably result in radical generosity in your own life. But this week, we're, we want to turn our affection onto our, our, our attention, onto our response. Our response to His generosity should be that we become generous with our whole lives. Um, and so, sacrificial living, generosity, it is this whole life thing. We're, we're talking about everything, your, your time, your, your, your lives, your, your homes, your food, 
your money. Um, that's what we're going to focus on today, though, is that last one, money, our financial generosity. Um, we don't talk a lot about money at a village. I, I, can, I can probably count them, the amount of, like, giving sermons that we've, we've done. Um, we don't… that might be one of the reasons a lot of you like this church is we don't have a lot of, like, fundraising campaigns and, and appeals and, and, and whatnot. But if we're honest, we probably don't talk about it enough. Um, it, we, 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 we should spend more time addressing this matter um, because it's something that you can't and shouldn't avoid because the Bible talks a lot about it. Um, the Gospel of Luke, go read the Gospel of Luke. Um, it's all about money. It's this, this major theme of, of money through Luke's gospel. Jesus talks a lot about money. Jesus understands it. This is an incredibly important area of your life, so we shouldn't avoid it. Tim Keller puts it as bluntly as this. He says, the Bible shows us that there can be no significant spiritual growth in your life unless you put your money and your attitude towards money into God's hands. There can be no significant spiritual growth in your life unless you put your money and your attitude towards it into God's hands. And here's why that's true in a real basic level, is because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and He rightfully demands to be let into every aspect of your life and to rule over it. That's what He asks every one of His followers to do. That's what you see in Revelation 19, this is what you see inevitably. This is what happens. Is uh, John gives us this incredible picture of, in the end, Jesus, this ruler of all, where the heavens open up and he sees Jesus sitting on this white horse, and he's, he's, his, his name is faithful and true. And Jesus, he, he he righteously judges and wages war, and he's followed by this army who are also clothed in white. They're also righteous and clean, and they're on white horses, but Jesus rules over all. He's wearing this white robe, and on this robe and on his thigh, this name is written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Jesus will rule over all for all of eternity. But you actually see that in the Gospels. Anytime Jesus interacts with people, in his like lowly earthly ministry, he's, he's already living out that identity of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So whenever he, he calls his disciples to, to follow him, he says, drop all that you're doing and come follow me. And whenever he's speaking to the rich young ruler, multiple times when he's speaking to his, his 12 disciples, his message is always, I must be first in your life. You can't kind of follow me. You, you must… Uh, that's why he says uh, to, to consider the cost. C- consider the cost of, of following me before you do, because it is costly. It's going to cost you everything, but it's glorious. It, it's, this, is the, this is where true eternal life and joy are found. But Jesus says, I must be Lord over all of your life. You, you can't hold certain aspects back. He says, you can't, be, you can't serve two masters at once. I must be Lord over all of your life, which includes our money. So we must put our money and our attitude towards money, not in our church bank account, but into God's hands. It'd be like this. If, you're, if you go to your GP and, and you, you tell your doctor, I feel awful. I, I always feel awful. I'm, I'm tired. 
Um, I, I, I have no energy, and I'm just always sick. A good doctor would say, you need to tell me more. Tell me all about your life. T- tell me about what do you do for, for your work? What do you, what's your work-life balance? Um, what, what's your diet like? Are you sleeping? How much do you sleep? Are you exercising at all? You need to tell me everything. Let me in because that's the only way I can help you. And it'd be like you say, no, you're a physician. Here are my symptoms. Treat them. And a doctor would say, I can't. You have to let me into every area in order for me to help you. And that's what God says as well. Uh, let me in to every area or I can't help you. You must be willing to let me rule over all, and then I'll be able to help you. There will be so much healing and joy and peace and life for you, but you have to let me into it all, and that includes our money. And we want to do that as a community. We want to let the Lord in to rule over all of our lives so that we are a community that is known for our generosity. Um, these people who are radically different than every other group in, in our city because they're, they're so generous. Um, there's so many passages you could go to for this, but um, we're going to continue in 2 Corinthians. Alan was in 2 Corinthians 8, we're in 2 Corinthians 9. Um, all throughout the Bible, you see the mark of God's people especially in the New Testament, the mark of real Christians is to be radically generous. Um, so, if there's a group of people who, who declare themselves to be followers of Jesus, but their lives are not, community is not marked by radical generosity, you have every right to, to question whether that is a genuine community of Christians or not, because the mark of real Christians is always to be radically generous. Like I said last week, it's this response to understanding God's generosity, but that response to His generosity is always that we now lives of, live lives of radical generosity. Let me read the text one more time. Read it with me, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15. Paul says, the point is this. Love when Paul does that. Let me make it really easy for you. Let me make it clear. Here's the point. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully, they could translate that as generously, will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that, having sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He is distributed freely, He is given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service, this, this fundraising that Paul's doing essentially, I'll say what that is in a minute, this ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By the approval of, their, of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Um, lots we could pull from that uh, on generosity, and, but I wanted to say here's three things that I want us to get from this text. First, I want us to see the, the impact 
of radical Christian generosity, the, the results uh, of that generosity. I want us to see the motivation behind radical Christian generosity and the measure or, th- or the manner of radical Christian giving generosity. So, the first one, the impact of radical Christian generosity. So, we're kind of working backwards here. You'd, it's normal to look at the results at the end, but we want to start by, by looking at the results. Again, the context, Paul is raising money for famine relief. So, there's been a famine in Jerusalem. There's a lot of people in need. So, Paul is going to the Christians in Asia Minor to ask them to give money to help. And Paul says the impact of their generous giving will be twofold. We see in verse 12 that through the radical generosity of these Christians, firstly, they are supplying the physical needs of others. People are literally being fed. But not, more than that, their generosity will lead people to praise God. So, you'll remember a couple weeks ago we talked about you as a human, you have two natures. You are body and you are soul. You are f- material, physical, but you are also spiritual. And, and a massive... Uh, uh, the, the focus of the church historically has been to meet the needs of both of those human natures. So, throughout, hu- throughout history, uh, across the globe, the biggest starter of hospitals and, and schools and food banks has always been the church of Jesus Christ. Massive focus of the church of Jesus is to meet the physical needs of those around them. But also, obviously, the, there's a massive focus on spirit, meeting spiritual needs. We, we preach the gospel in order for souls to be saved. And um, so, throughout history, no matter where you go on the globe, when the church sprouts up and when the, the followers of Jesus start living these lives in response to the gospel, change happens. Communities and cities are transformed. Um, and that change, it always happens through radical generosity. An example of this is the church in Acts 2. That, that fellowship of believers who were so, so captivated by what Jesus had done for them that they became a community of radical difference, of radical generosity. Acts 2 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. The breaking of bread and prayers all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done. All who believed were together. They had all things in common. They had this, this supernatural unity now says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to, the, to all as any had need, physical need. They were daily, be, daily worshiping together. They were eating together with glad and generous hearts. They are sharing their, their, their food even. Uh, praising God, having favor with all people. And it said, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So that, that community, they understood the abundant sacrificial generosity of God. They, they, they understood that, that God was incredibly generous to them, and their response was radical generosity, which resulted in radical change in their community. And that change was both physical and spiritual. Physical needs were being met, and souls were being saved. That was the impact of their abundant, sacrificial generosity. And back in, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 12, Paul said, that will also be the impact of, of these Christians' generosity. Physical needs will be met, but more than that, there will be this overflowing of a thanksgiving to God. Verse 13 says, through the gifts of these people, many will glorify God. Like, what a beautiful and an, just incredible result of our generosity. That the people's 
physical needs are met, but more than that, we're, there's this uh, God receives glory. We're promoting His glory. He receives this overflowing of thanks. Isn't that amazing? So, do you see that when you opt out of giving, we're, we opt out of the privilege of meeting human need, but we also deny ourselves the honor of promoting God's glory. Back in Acts 2, that, that church was just exploding. Why? Because outsiders were looking in on these Christians and saying, something incredible must have happened inside of them. Something uh, has happened inside these people to make them so quick to, to, to give their things away. They, they'd never see, seen anything like this. Something radical must have happened inside these people, which was absolutely true. And so, let's look at the motivation of their radical generosity. But before we do that, I want to ask you that question. What does this look like? How do people look to you? How do people view you? How do people look at village, which is us? It's, what, is people, what do people… Do, do, do people see you as a radically generous person? Is that what our church is known for? They're just so generous. Do people say that about us? Whenever you get close to them, they just shower you with, with their time and their food and their resources and their money. They, 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 these people, they don't, they don't consider their, their homes their own even. They don't consider their, their possessions in their own. They don't consider their, their money as their own. They're just so generous with everything. Is that what people say about you? Is it what people say about us as a church? And again, if it's not, then maybe we don't have operating inside of us what was operating inside of these people. So what was operating inside of them? What was the motivation of their generosity? There's two things that you pick up on in verses 10 to 16. There's an important thing that Paul touches on in verses 10 and 11. Um, or Paul is he's essentially saying, here's something that you need to understand. And when you do begin to understand this, it will result in radical generosity in your life. You're going to change the way you think about your, your things and your money. Look at what he says in verse 10. Paul says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So, who's He in verse 10 that He's speaking about? God. God supplies seed for sowing. God supplies bread for food. And He's saying, He, he the one who does that, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, increase the harvest of your righteousness. He will enrich you in every way so that you can be generous in every way, which will produce thanksgiving to God. Paul wants us to understand that it's God who gives all things. It, it, it's this, this, this understanding of your place in this universe and that everything in your life, all of life, is grace from God. So often, especially when it comes to our money, especially when it comes to our possessions, we, we become like children, don't we? Mine. That's what my kids do. I'm like, hey, can I have a bite of that? No, it's mine. I like telling them often, no, it's mine. <laughs> Everything, all your toys, they're actually my toys. I'm just letting you 
play. You don't own anything. Everything in your life is from me. And it's great being a dad. But Paul, said, Paul wants us to see that. He wants you to see that everything in your life is a gift from God. He's saying, you may be a hard worker, you may work really hard for that paycheck, but you're working with breath in your lungs that is a free gift from God. You're using a mind that is His gift to you. You're using talents that He has bestowed upon you. That The job that you have, the opportunities that you have, that's because of God's grace in your life. The fact that you were born in a relatively peaceful Northern Ireland, and you live here in 2021 rather than being born in the desert of Afghanistan in the 90s is because God's grace in your life. He is the giver and the supplier of all that you have, and He's simply asking you to recognize that. Say thank you for that. And when you recognize that, you stop clenching your fists so hard. You begin to open up your hands, and you begin to realize that every good gift in your life is from Him. It's because of His grace. He's given it to you, and He wants you to use it to bless others and for the glory of His name. That's, the, that's part of the motivation of this radical generosity. But in verse 13, we see the main motivation. Paul says, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. That word submission, you can also translate it as obedience. Paul's saying, so why are they being, why are these people, why are their needs being met? And why are they now glorifying God? Why is God getting praise here? Paul says, because of your obedience. Because of your obedience that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Isn't that amazing? What is, what's he mean by this confession of the gospel of Christ? Look, what does that look like? It means recognizing that you once were a hopeless, poor sinner. We looked at that last week. Your natural position in this world is poverty, spiritual poverty. You were once by nature an enemy of God. You, you, you by nature wanted nothing to do with Him. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that you were dead in your trespasses. You were spiritually dead. Can't get any more poor than being dead. You owe nothing but that God loved you. God shows you. He placed His love upon you. He loved you so much, even though you rejected Him, He loved you so much that He proved that love by sending His only Son to come and live a perfect life that you and I could never live and to die a, a gruesome death on a cross that you and I deserve to die. And through that unbelievable, sacrificial, abundant, generous gift, He has now changed your identity you are no longer an enemy of God. You are now a son or a daughter of God. Isn't that amazing? You are now a co-heir with Christ. You are now part of His family. What incredible news. Paul, Paul puts it like this. He says, you are now an ambassador of Christ. That's what this confession of the gospel of Christ looks like. And it's when you begin to understand that that, that glorious news, and when you begin to abide in that love, the result will always be obedience. And obedience 
very much often looks like radical generosity. You are an ambassador of Christ who now proclaims this glorious news, and one way you do that is by giving generously for the glory of His name. You see, when you begin to shift your understanding that, that, wow, all of life is grace, everything is a gift from Him to use for good works in this life, and when your, your heart begins to be filled because of the good news of Jesus Christ, what He has graciously done for you, what He has brought you into, you begin to use your money radically different than the rest of the world. And you see what that looks like in verse 6 and 11. What does it look like to be radically generous? What's the, the measure or the manner of this kind of giving? In verse 6, he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And one scholar put it this way, he said, God's grace toward us reproduces His graciousness within us. Think about that. God's grace toward us reproduces His graciousness within us. To put it really simply, we become like Him. We become gracious like He has been gracious. We're, we're responding to this, to His abundant sacrificial generosity toward us, most clearly seen in the life and death of Jesus. And so since God's grace toward us is infinite, it's, it's without measure, He doesn't kind of portion it out and calculate it out, we are now, who, who receive that kind of generosity, we are also to show generosity without measure, without calculation. We are not under compulsion, he says. Ours should be a ready, it should be an eager giving, not a reluctant kind of response. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. Why does he love a cheerful giver? Because he is a cheerful giver. You see that in verse 15. He's given us this inexpressible gift in Jesus. God is a cheerful giver, so He wants His children to be cheerful givers. He didn't measure out His graciousness, so He doesn't want us to either. Please don't hear that our giving, I'm not saying our giving should be just kind of ad hoc, casual or impulsive, although it's good to give impulsively sometimes, but notice what He says in verse 7. He says, each person should give as he's decided in his heart to give. So our giving, it should be an this intentional thing. You should have thought about this. You should have prayed about this. It's this inward resolve that's followed up by this decisive and cheerful giving. It's different. So in the Old Testament, there was, this, there was the, the law of 10% someone would have to give. Whatever you have, take 10% of it and give it. That's what the law of the Old Testament said. But what does Jesus say in the New Testament? Be like me. Give like I give. I, Jesus is like, I am the definition of radical generosity. Be like me. I, I, I have the heart that I have. I, I didn't hold anything back, so be like me. Jesus is saying, trust me in this. Trust me to take care of you. Trust me to, to, to meet your every need. Trust me enough to be obedient. 
Um, give like I give, which is generously and cheerfully. Brother and sister, what does that look like in your life? Are you living a radically generous life? Let me urge you, um, don't miss out. Don't miss out on the, the blessings and the joy and the honor that come from a life of obedience, that come from a life, this, this worshipful response to God's abundant sacrificial generosity and love that He extended to you in Jesus Christ. And that's the root of what we're really talking about. We're not talking about money. We're talking about the value of Jesus Christ. It's, we're talking about how His extraordinary kindness and mercy and justice and beauty and power have captivated and transformed our hearts through His death and re- resurrection that we now spend our lives proclaiming who He is. It's not ultimately about money. It's ultimately about the glory of our Savior and this this lifelong response and proclamation, it, it involves our whole life, our whole being, which includes what we do with our money. What a, what a beautiful thing we've, this opportunity to, to, to respond and worship, to be like our Savior. And I just want to end by giving kind of three practical things that can, um, can help us. Um, firstly, if you are a regular giver and you give in a, in a, I don't know how to say this, a documented kind of way, we know that you've given uh, a, a certain amount of money, um, you'll have received or will receive an envelope that it's essentially just an end-of-year giving letter. Um, we're trying to, we try to do this every year. We've, I don't think we did it last year because of the just kind of craze of 2020, but we're trying to get back on track. Um, essentially, that letter is, is a thank you letter as a, to, to you as a giver uh, to Jesus Christ here at Village. Um, it also it has a wee line that will tell you how much you gave over the last 12 months. And the, the goal is, is hopefully that just helps you do 2 Corinthians 9-7, which is to give as you've decided in your heart. So may that be a helpful tool. Um, don't give haphazardly or casually. Um, be intentional with it. Pray about it. Talk to it about, uh, with, if you have a spouse, talk to it with, with your spouse about that. And, and to do that regularly, to evaluate that from time to time. Don't just let that be like this set a standing order and then I just forget about it for the rest of the year. Be prayerful about it. Be cheerful about it. That's right. <laughs> that was like, please don't be me. And Hopefully, that is just a, a helpful tool. Don't, it's not meant to be a hammer over your head. If you leave today feeling like, I'm just, I need to do more, I feel kind of burdened, we've, then I've, I've failed this morning. Hopefully, be a helpful tool to help you worshipfully respond to what God has done in your life. Look to Him, but may that be helpful. Um, and then here's these kind of two practical goals that we've set out for, uh, for the next couple of years. Firstly, um, we are one of we have this goal of becoming 100% financially independent as a as a church congregation. I I hate I, I hate it's not, I don't know how else to say that, but because um, we're we're wholly dependent, we're completely dependent. That's uh, we're defined by our dependence on Jesus. Uh, but financially, we want to become 
mature and, and to kind of be able to stand on our own two feet as, as a congregation. Um, encouragingly, we're nearly there. So early days, we were like 100% dependent on uh, other churches giving to us. And as we've grown, as the Lord has continued to build His church, um, as, as our people have begun to understand His generosity and respond and like, um, our, our giving has, be, has grown. We've kind of weaned ourselves off of uh, external support. Uh, we're nearly there. Uh, to, that's just going to happen with, with what we're talking about, though. It's just kind of response and, uh, to, to what He's done. Um, we, we also want to keep going. We also want to keep getting, giving more generously. The, the heart of that cheerful giver is, how, how, how else can I give? How, more, how, how else can I help? Um, so we don't want to just get to the spot where we're like able to pay our bills and, and just pay our staff. And we want to look outward. We want to, we want to plant more churches. We want to help more people in our community. We want to, our, our growing ministries, are, our ministries are growing. We could use more staff and all of those things. So um, what an opportunity to, to, to mature uh, as a church family in order to uh, enact change in our, in our community. The second thing is we, want, we have this goal of purchasing this building. So if you're new, if you're newish, you might not know this, but we don't own this facility. Uh, we rent here. Um, we don't own this place, and we, we don't have that security of, of a future gathering spot. Um, Village started about, um, about 10 years ago. There's six of us in a small living room uh, off the Omar Road, um, and the Lord just continued to to kind of grow that gospel in our lives, and, and we continue to grow, we continue to, to try to be faithful to, to Jesus and, and to, to respond to Him, and He's been so good to us. We, he has, we kind of grew out of that living room. We've started meeting in like the upstairs room above the Garrick pub in, in city center. We outgrew that. Uh, moved back into a bigger living room, outgrew that. Uh, we met in the halls of Cook Presbyterian Church on Loma Road for a couple years. Um, we grew uh, a little bit more. Um, at that time, we were probably about 45 minutes, 45 minutes, 45 people um, in our congregation at that time. Um, I remember driving past this place uh, with my brother, and you know, you can tell there's not a lot going on here. You can tell it wasn't used um, that often. So we got in touch with the Association of Baptist Churches in Ireland and just to say, hey, what's going on with this place? Um, that this Bloomfield Baptist Church had kind of windled down to about like 10 or 12 uh, elderly ladies, and they were about to close their door um, as a church. Um, and the, the, uh, the ABCI was like, we want you to, to, to use the building and generously just let us move in uh, kind of do what we wanted to do and, and meet here. They, 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 they desperately wanted a, a gospel presence here. Bloomfield Baptist Church started here in 1903, so that's 120 years of continual gospel presence and work in this neighborhood. Um, the, think of the souls that have been saved in that time, the churches that have been sent out, the missionaries that have been sent out. Um, it's a long time for, for a faithful gospel presence here at, we would love to see another hundred years unless the Lord comes back. I cried in the first gathering. I looked at you and I was like, oh, don't look at Laura. The Lord's been so, so good to us. And he's been so good to us. Uh, he's met our every need along the way. Our prayer has always been, just, Lord, do what only you can do. 
Um, and he's continued to do that. And we've been able to plant another church, and we have another focus on planting another church, and we want to do it again after that. And, and we've baptisms happening. Like there's, there's, God is so good uh, to us, and we just want to respond to him. Um, we have uh, one of our other values is to have a culture of church as family. So the church is not an event that you attend. It's not something that you go to. And the church is certainly not a building that you come into. The church is a family. The church is this invitation into a life of divine belonging. The church is you, and it's me. Um, but it's helpful to have a place to gather. It's helpful to… We found this to be a really useful tool in being that family of change in our city. Um, and we think it'd be a helpful tool kind of in the future. So this is brick and mortar. Um, but it's, it's a helpful, helpful tool to be able to do gospel ministry. So um, our, our goal um, is to raise 400,000 pounds by the end of August 22. Um, that's not what they're, we're buying this place for. They've been so generous with us. Um, they've given us a really generous price. They want us to buy this. They want us, church, to continue on here. That 400,000 pounds allows us to, to purchase this real estate and then also um, do some, some essential maintenance and repairs and some, like, basic renovations. Uh, a building that's 120 years old, it needs kind of upkeep. So there's things we need to do. There might be, yeah. So that's, uh, I can send you guys some of this uh, um, in your emails, but 400,000 pounds, building purchase, some maintenance and things like that. That's our goal. That's a number we, we prayed about as elders, and we felt like, we felt like it's, it's a lot, but it's, I think, a reasonable and, and a responsible amount to make our goal as a church family for the size that we are, for the, the demographic that we have. We're asking the Lord to do that. Um, just so you know, if, if the Lord, I'm going to be real generous with you and, and give us more, there's even more we can do when we're thinking of growing five years down the road, ten years, our children's ministry, we could use more space. So there's, there's ways to to make this even more useful kind of moving forward. But our goal is to, to raise 400,000 uh, pounds by the end of August. They, they are going to sell this building. Um, they, they, they need to, they, they kind of have to, and they want us to do to buy it. And uh, we want to be that, that presence here. So what I'm asking is for you to pray. That's all I'm asking you to do right now is, is start praying about this um, Reflect on how good the Lord's been to us for as long as you've been here, or maybe just in your life, um, and, and, and just pray. That's, that's, we want that to be our first response uh, in everything, is to seek the Lord in prayer. Um, ask Him to, to, to help us to do this for us. And, and then to consider, start considering what that might look like to, to cheerfully and generously give towards uh, this project. Um, it's going to be something that's kind of above and beyond our, our normal giving. Um, our, 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 our desire, our, I would just love for most of that to be from us, from our, our people responding to His goodness. Um, where there's going to be other churches that, that, are, that uh, I believe will contribute, but how amazing would it be for our people to, to respond and kind of raise up and, and meet this need um, for the good of others? and for the glory of God. So um, pray about that and talk about it. And we'll, we're going to talk more about it. Um, I said we don't do a lot of fundraising campaigns. We're doing one. Um, we're going to get used to it. We're going to talk about it for a little while. We're, we'll tell some more stories 
and we'll give you more information. What does it look like to give? And we want to get everyone involved. We want our kids to be part of this. And um, yeah, he's so good to us. Let's stand and pray. And Father, all of life is grace. I wish confess, uh, we are so often blind to your, your grace in our life, your mercy. It's so easy to uh, just carry on our normal days thinking of self, thinking of our abilities, our goodness, our things. Help us, Lord, first and foremost, to, to realize who you are and what you've done for us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this reversal of our situation, a reversal of our eternal destination, our eternal story. We are now no longer dead in our sins, but we are alive in Christ. You have been so generous and abundant to us. You've showered your love on us, and you will for all of eternity, Lord. We just say thank you for that. Um, thank you for the good things in our life. Um, Lord, stir that up to be a worshipful response for the good of others, Lord, and, and, and for your glory. We thank you so much. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name.